Not Exactly Radio, back at it again, 2020, second episode of 2020, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, hey, what's up, it's me, your host, Benny K, and... Tony, uh, the zombie Tony. Tony the zombie Tony. Mm-hmm. Mm. Bring it in here. Music. We got, blues. <laughs> we got another Instead of brains. Bit. Instead of brains? Oh, some music? He's just going blues. Blues. Fair, blues. that really fits for this album. Yeah. Um, so, we got another guest on our show. Uh, uh, he, he was able to fit us in there, and that was pretty cool. And I'm really excited to have him on the show, because uh, he, he does some good work around the Milwaukee area. He's at... Uh, shakers a lot, doing a lot of shows there. He does. Uh, uh, he has Dead Man's Carnival. Uh, Professor Pinkerton, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you much for having me. It's always uh, great to get a chance to talk about the uh, the nitty gritty, nerdy nuances of uh, the music I like. Yeah. No. Hey, <laughs> I was very excited because you gave me like I remember when I was talking to you. You can kind of had trouble picking one album. And you gave me like three different artists, and then eventually you went with uh, C.W. Stone King, which we're going to be talking about today, um, and. Uh, the other two artists that you picked too would have been fantastic as well, uh, but I'm really happy that you picked this album right mm-hmm. here because I was listening. I listened to this. I listened to shit out of this album like this whole week here and just like analyzing everything, trying to that's happening with this album, and it's just it's my shit. Like, it I was extremely this. a shit. Like when I was listening, I was like, oh, he's gonna be so excited, and I enjoyed it a lot too. It's just uh, when it comes to like blues, I don't have much to say. <laughs> so I was like, please, can you fill the airtime? Because I'm just like I like to sit back and just listen to the stories they're telling. Yeah. And that's a I thought it would be a lot of the artists that I've recommended are, uh, as I like to say, been dead longer than I've been living. <laughs> and, uh, it seems a, a disservice to uh, use this resource to promote someone that can't really benefit from it. Fair, yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know, big shout out to you know C.W. Stone King for making great music, and hopefully we get a few more people tipped off to what he's up to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I really hope so. Seriously, I I cannot emphasize this enough how much I've listened to this album this past week oh I saw it's, you on Spotify every <laughs> time <laughs> it's so good it's so fucking good well, it's, it's uh, a, a rare thing too because I mean he's probably one of maybe a dozen or two artists that are currently alive that I'm even aware that they exist so it's, <laughs> <you know. laughs> and I just love like when we get into it just the mix like mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's it's that classic blues but it has this persona of uh, you know and then he has this different like it's still a blues album, but it also is like if Misfits made a blues album kind of right, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think he definitely is, is similar to a lot of uh, my peers and contemporaries in the sense that he has a background in, if not specifically punk rock and hardcore, but certainly the DIY culture of mm-hmm. like underground uh, music creation. Mm. And, but, I mean, without a doubt, I think he has, like, a punk background as well. Um, I even, like, love the album cover. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's that classic dude with a guitar, you know what you're going to be listening to, but then, he, you know, it's this ominous look, though, because he has a skull on his face. Well, that's the thing, too. That's the thing, too. Like, you, ha- you see this album cover... You hear the music, you're thinking, this is made in the 20s, yeah. of like a decade, I'm sorry, a century ago. Oh, it's more uh, <laughs> Fallout 4 soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, well, see, it's funny, too, because I have the, I got the t-shirt today I wore, too, for the fun of it, Ooh. but uh, my favorite part about it is, uh, it's the album cover, but it's also glow-in-the-dark. Oh, oh shit, that's, see, nice. that's cool. That is so cool. So, uh, I occasionally wear it as pajamas, so when I feel like, go take a piss in the middle of the night, I'm like, <laughs> <Find your way. laughs> like, like, it's like, you know, because you wear glow-in-the-dark, you don't 
have enough light you necessarily notice it till you like see it in a mirror or something. You're like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> CW leading the way to your piss. I get that, yeah. yes. Um, no, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, before we get into this album, let's talk about music that we've been listening to recently. We haven't done that for a while. Nope. Uh, so let's let's give it a shot. I can go first. Yeah, so you can go, go first. first. Um, uh, so recently, I mean, besides this album, which is amazing, uh, I've been listening to Moontooth. I heard the song All at All Angles. It sounds like a little bit like Protest the Hero mixed with like a little bit of Coheed and Cambria voice mixed with like, I can't, I forgot the third band that I was going to say, but like just listening to that song is pretty energetic because it just seems kind of mathematical in its ways of doing metal and rock music. Yeah, yeah. So I suggest Moontooth to anyone out there that might be interested in that. Hmm. Professor Pinkerton? Well, I've been trying to rotate stuff through. Uh... I don't actually know the names of all the artists, but uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter, and okay. uh, I try to get her hyped about just doing anything together, you know, whether, mm-hmm. you know we're, yeah. we're cooking dinner, with this or that, and, you know, the best way to uh, get her motivated Connecting is, you know, let, teens. Yeah, let, let <laughs> her put whatever music she wants to on the Bluetooth or whatever, and uh, so that's nice. It's like a, a window into, like, some contemporary pop music, although some of them are not, like hugely popular but some are but okay. uh but either way it's a, it's a nice uh uh she has a song uh, by an artist i'm embarrassed i don't know the name i should have done research if I, but uh <laughs> it's a song called prom dress and it's like a big pop hit but prom it's dress. got a hilarious stanza of uh here i am just crying in my prom dress <laughs> i'd be the queen if crying was a contest and i just really oh, love yeah. <laughs> i love that like sad girl rhyme it's, yeah, it's hilarious it's but this is a very it's a cool tune and she's doing like billy eilish and you know a lot of this other stuff that's really big which is you know I mean, even grown-ups find her music really good. Someone who traditionally doesn't like pop music, there's a lot of artists like that that I really, there's aspects of it that I'm really, really impressed with. Uh, you know, so it's just a, a hodgepodge of this or that. Uh, I think uh, sometimes it's a similar deal, you know, cooking dinner with my girlfriend, she put on like Wolf Tooth or, you know, okay. Sufjan yeah. Stevens or, you know, mm. I wouldn't really call him super contemporary since I don't think he's very actively touring now, but, okay. but either way, whatever, it like gets me a little out of my wheelhouse of dead people. <laughs> <laughs> Most of listen to dead people, I get that. Uh, Tony? Um... I'm a little listless right now because I'm trying to find the next album to be obsessed about. Right, this got a lot of plays this week, though. It, mm. That's the thing. It was so listenable, too, like at work or something to keep Absolutely. it on in the background. Yeah. Like, it's one of those where doesn't overload the senses, so I can, you know, I can just have it keep playing. It was really good industrious music for me this week um but yeah i don't know uh <laughs> i really been <laughs> bouncing around trying to find something that uh is making me bop versus all the shit we already covered in the That's last fair. few months yeah. mm. um i like stormzy's album a lot stormzy he's from uh uk um uk rapper oh yeah yeah mm-hmm. Told us about that last I, I like him a lot um yeah, yeah no name i was listening to a lot of no name as well <laughs> it was a great great uh mc Okay. Mm. Yep. So yeah, that's like the closest I got. But okay, that's all right. Trying trying to find my uh, tracks in January so far. I get that. But that's new music we've been listening to. If you have new music, please let us know so we can also listen to it because we love listening to new music. Yes. Um. So let's get into it. C.W. Stone King, Gone Boogaloo. 
Love it. Okay, okay I don't want to like. I don't want to just give it away. I don't want to be like, love it. That's the episode done. Okay, cool. Um, well, that's why we have that's why a we take talk about section. It. That's why yeah. we do the take section. Is that why we have the show? Yes. Yeah. All right. We're gonna tell you why we love it. I guess. How about let's get the skinny? Let's do it. All right, C.W. Stone King, short for Christopher William, is a 45-year-old musician from Australia. Guanbalugalu, uh, I could have said that better, uh, <laughs> was initially released on October 17, 2014, charted as high as 17 on the Aussie music charts. Gone Boogaloo is his third album, coming after Jungle Blues and King Hokum. CW plays guitar, banjo, sings, and has appeared in the bands The Blue Tits and CW Stone King and the Primitive Horn Orchestra. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to read from the record because he actually gives us a nice, like, on the back when you turn it around, he just really explains. I'm not going to read everything because he does get really specific on how so he did this, and it's right. great. Like, I love, I read the whole thing real quick. Uh, but he says, This record took me six long years to come by. Was it finally recorded in two days without any overdubs or edits, using only two microphones into a two track Ampex 351 tape machine out of Capitol Records? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say like his last album, uh, what was it? Uh, Jungle Blues that came out in two thousand eight, right? Yes, yeah, so, so, so a good jump in between, yeah. So it took him six years between. Uh, he's writing this album as soon as he's done with that album. Yeah, and we said he had a considerable writer's block as well. Um, you know, I think his when he was touring most recently said that uh, the Jungle Man was like the tune that uh, kind of got him out of his writer's block, but. Uh, Ironically, was another jungle song. And like he might have made a promise to himself. He's like, no more jungle songs. And there's two on this record, so you know. Well, three ish. Yeah, three ish. That's true. But two in the title. You yeah, know? two in the title. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's fitting. I mean, he's Australian. It has to be like the way that I think of Australia. It's like city, desert that will murder you, and then like jungle, like. But the funny just, thing about that is, like... Just everything's going to murder you. The, the, the stories that he makes, it's it's like... I mean, they don't have jungle in Australia. I mean, they oh, have, yeah, like, no. desert. <laughs> they have this stuff, but, like, he has these... Uh, that uh, was square peg round hole. I yeah, was. totally. <laughs> I'd say, like, as an artist, one of the things that makes him such a rarity is he's phenomenal at world building. Yes. Like, in a song, you only have so many stanzas and verses to paint a picture and, you know... He has a really, really good way to, like, give you a lot with a little. And, oh, uh, absolutely. And, I mean, he's kind of like a little kid, because all of his songs are, like, about being stranded on desert islands, mm-hmm. and he's, like, sort of weird, pseudo-British, like, imperialist, like, Oz deep in the jungles of Africa. <laughs> like, all these things you'd read about in, like, you know, a kid's book from the 40s. Very much reminds like me this, of that. You know? um, Lemony Snicket. It reminds yeah. me of that because uh, uh, they were in a, the dude was an adventurer too, like their parents or whatever. Okay, and then that's how they died. But oh, it reminds well. me of kind of that stu- that uh, that uh, sensibility too, where it sounds kind of innocent sometimes, but it's but it's sinister underneath. Yeah, so in a sense of like maybe where you know a lot of artists take a tip from like Bob Dylan and are very autobiographical or at least attempt to be autobiographical, like. He's just giving you glimpses into like these little worlds and these characters, and they're all sung from like a first-person perspective. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like you can tell, it's like an array of like these like imaginary characters, and then that's why I would say that he's of contemporary artists probably the most comparable to like carrying the mantle of someone like Tom Waits. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, like, very much, like, so it was made in 2014, but if I listened to it without context, I'd been like, wow, 
where's this from? <laughs> like, no. I would have just felt it was a fever dream from, like, the 30s or something. Well, like, that's as part of what uh, you're saying, the mix, et cetera, et cetera, where it illustrates on the mm -hmm. back of the record. Exactly. You know, this was recorded in the style of a lot of music where he's literally using an RCA 77 microphone, which is like every Bing Crosby, mm -hmm. every Elvis Presley song, every one of the songs in that era was recorded into that microphone using these recording techniques. Mm -hmm. It's a 40-year-old microphone. So, it's yeah. Like, so, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, like you have the whole band arranged around this mic in the room and they just have to perform the song perfectly yeah. as opposed to like contemporary And that's why like the backup singing sounds yeah. so great on it. Like it has that perfect like yeah, haunting like it's not right up at you, it's yeah. more in the background. Mm -hmm. yeah, and he makes a point to say like, you know, the, the musicians had to use their craftsmanship to create these sounds because it's like with modern day multi-tracking you can do stuff that sounds really clean and sounds, frankly, too perfect. Mm -hmm. And like, and you can tell the difference if you go to live music a lot. It's like, if you have a microphone on every drum, for example, it's like yeah. putting your ear right next to the drum, and that's not what a drum sounds like because it interacts with the room. It does all these other things. By the time it gets to you, but you know, when you're taking this like up close sound and magnifying it and mixing it, it can sound great. Right. But it doesn't sound organic. And I think just certain genres oh, it, or like the new technology works for them, then other ones should stay stripped back. Because like, it reminds me of like uh, bands, of course, like Alkaline Trio, one of my favorite bands ever. When they got big for a while, they were using too much. They were trying; it was sounding too clean. It was yeah, just the, it, the overproduction. It just pitfall. Yeah, yeah, it's the same type of thing. Of like, too much is too good of a thing, and then you lose what the feeling of your music was. Well, that's the, the irony of it is uh, the gatekeepers who whisper in the ears of all of these artists that break out from the underground mm -hmm. uh, are cowards. I don't know how else to put it. Like, they... <laughs> They want to have their cake and eat it, too. They want to have all these, like, organic things, but they don't want to take the chance because they want a new Justin Bieber. They want a new Justin yeah. Timberlake. They want a billion-dollar act. Mm. And as a result, they always want to mold people into mm. something that they're familiar and comfortable with, which they don't seem to realize that continuously you're stripping away the whole thing that made it special and new or innovative and exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you see this again and again with... You know, like uh, freshman records from people being mm -hmm. like groundbreaking and like you know game changers, and then Six there's, there's elements <laughs> of that voice still there, and the quality of songwriting <clears throat> is still there. But uh, devils in the details, and you know, from a jazz background, you know, someone like Coltrane would say that like your tone is everything. Like it's all that matters is your tone and unfortunately yeah like when you go through the machinery and the gatekeepers mm -hmm. of commercial music they want to strip you of your tone and make it anti-sepic and, mm -hmm. you know. and then like that's and that's what's nice about when you have honest artists that will like expose that and be mm -hmm. like yeah producers have no like or the big, big wigs have no idea what they're looking for mm -hmm. even with the I Got Depression song oh yeah it was like a right. viral <laughs> hit and just like you, you know it was a comedian made a song that went viral and now mm -hmm. A&R execs are hitting him up, and he's like, I'm a comedian. Yeah. I don't even make music. <laughs> like, yeah. don't quit thinking I'm the next big thing. Well, my whole house is like <laughs> a museum-slash-library archive. It's like I may have literally read hundreds of musicians' biographies, and it's just a reoccurring theme. 
uh, particular artists like Sam Cooke, who I'm like an, an avid, avid enthusiast of, he got signed to Capitol Records and this or that that put him together with a famous group of producers and there's this like kind of lull period where he made great music but it also has like string sections that are covering up his voice and yeah. this or that and like all this sort of stuff that like they just didn't get and then historically he was like very very good at negotiating and ended up owning his own masters being able to produce his own records at a time that that was unheard of and then, you know, it goes back into making music that's still, you know, household recognized to this day, you know, 50 years later or what have you. Mm-hmm. Well, All right. this was awesome to listen to. I really enjoyed just sitting back and listening <laughs> to you guys talk about it. Time to get into the takes. So let's do it. Let's get into this we album. We'll go track by track and discuss what we heard. Okay. First song, right off the bat, How Long? Love this opening title. Uh, as soon as he said, my friends, how do you do? I was like, I'm fucking yes, hyped for exactly. this. Fucking hyped for this album right here. And I think the way that it was recorded, how it was recorded live, gives you a good experience, yes. too. Because it does feel like you're sitting front row at the show. Yeah. That's why I loved putting it on all week. Because it felt like it was, you know, like sitting there at my computer alone where nobody talks to me um <laughs> I, I felt like i was getting this uh just showing up and pulling up a chair right, and he's just like hey man yeah you want to hear some of my stories for 40 minutes they yeah call it rhythm and blues you know r&b that's what it stands for and mm-hmm. the opening of the song really epitomizes that rhythm aspect of it it's like just him on guitar and it's like just him playing that intro swings harder than like most swing bands do it's like <laughs> yeah. it comes in crazy and it's like it's very forward moving, but it's unpredictable, and it has like an incredible amount of like groove to it that, uh, you know, whatever is like the cornerstone, because this song is almost entirely that guitar. Eventually, like a tambourine and some background vocals come in, mm-hmm. but it's like it gives you the impression of like a down home blues busker street performer. Oh, yeah. But like a really, really good one, someone who's just like been doing this their whole life they're in their element mm-hmm. absolutely can you hear it here and like any great blues album has tons of stories and we don't you know we don't shy away from it here where it just sounds like a, a man wondering how long it's going to take until he gets home and like in and when i listen to the song i envision home for him is probably like heaven like he's working so hard in his life he's been like doing all these things he's been in the in, what was it like the belly of a lion and uh what was the lines a lion's den the belly of a whale yeah so he's referencing all these biblical yeah. stories yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah and it just seems like he just wants to go home he's been working so hard for this how long is it going to be until i get home and i just it's great it's a great kickoff to the album when there's something about uh tapping into that early gospel like sort of uh world He's like clearly referencing the you know like the blind Reverend Gary Davis and blind Willie Johnson who are like very prominent like street gospel singers and you know like yeah like even like the style of the singing this or that is like is his own voice but is very much a part of the same vein and dialogue mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so it's like but many 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 people have tried to emulate these artists over the years and fallen very flat and uh, you know he really just knocks it out of the park. Absolutely. Tony, got anything before we move on? No. Um, 
No, it just it brought me in. It pulled me right it in. It did. Hell yeah. It was a great start. Now the next song, The Zombie, this is the one that I first heard. I remember I was I was looking for Halloween music to put on my yeah. Halloween playlist, and this one popped up, and I was like, let me give this one a listen. And it just sounded so uh, uh, old-timey and haunting, and I think it kind of goes along with the whole rest of the album. The rest of the album, the way it's recorded, as you guys talked about before, actually makes it more haunting along with that. <laughs> Along with the cover of the album itself, it makes it look like I you just know, love how atmospheric this one oh, is. Absolutely, just with the backup uh, singers and just it, it, it it's a just great atmosphere. Again, this is the fallout for when I was picturing where it yeah. plays on like a radio, like mm-hmm. absolutely where yeah. nobody knows where it's coming from. You just hear it when you like enter. Yeah. Well, building or something. The weirdest thing too. So this is a departure from a lot of his traditional, his previous records. You know, they, they each have a very distinct. Uh, different palette of things they're referencing historically. It's all original music, okay. but heavily steeped in referencing niche genres that have happened before. In this case, he's talking about like you know the 1950s dance craze. Mm-hmm. Like he's referencing this, but it's also very clearly a Calypso-inspired song. In fact, this whole record has a lot of Calypso influence. And uh, he's touched on that a little in his previous records, but most of it was more like finger-picking country blues and then, you know, uh, things like this. So this is, uh, I take that back, his jungle blues touches into Calypso a lot. But this has some of the Calypso influences, but then, like, goes into electric music for the first time. Everything else he did was straight, you know, tenor banjo and resonator guitar and uh, this move into electric blues suits him very well. Okay. That's probably why we find it so strong is when blues has to like it's a culmination of so much different genres. Like it wants to include so much other things and mm-hmm. that's why it's it's not just a dude singing with a guitar for like twelve tracks. Yeah. Like there's all these other influences, there's all these other playing with the formula that I just I had so much fun yeah. with. And absolutely, uh, another thing about this song too is like you can feel, like it feels like a human is like transitioning into that zombie thing like in the beginning of the song where he says, I got this dance called the zombie. That's when you get bit and then by the end of the song. It's just like all of a sudden they're transforming into that zombie and like the music video. Well, you ever... and I was going to ask if you've seen the music video because yes. it's brilliant. Oh, it is. It's yeah. super brilliant. It's like drawn with like bad, it's like badly, no, I shouldn't say badly drawn crayon, but like the way it's drawn, it's also very haunting. And yeah, It looks like a children's book or something. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, you just see this guy like trying to sleep, but he can't because he's like watching all his neighbors. Well, yeah, and it talks about this dance craze, but he mm. uses the dance craze as like a metaphor for, you know, like people not being themselves and maybe the undead and but the thing is it's not necessarily about the zombie apocalypse it's about like someone getting in their own head and like almost like having like a a having a paranoia like there's a whole bunch of like especially the concept comes out in the music video clearer than just in the song like he has this verse about like you know, all they're walking through the streets and they're just saying, I'm just looking for something, something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and it shows a picture of like a homeless dude trying to like hit you up for spare change. Yeah. And it's like, but if you are scared and you start to see shadows everywhere, so he lets you think like, okay, well, there isn't really a zombie apocalypse. This person just sees everyone being obsessed with this song mm-hmm. as like them all being in a trance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, 
And before we get off the song, I want to just say in the beginning when it's like, I got a new dance called, and I was waiting for someone to say the Soldier Boy, and then, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, yeah. I was like, I was waiting, I'm like, no, that's not it, that's um, not it, no, but. Well, he also, yeah, he's like, you know, it's like, but he shouts it too, like, I he have does, a new yeah. song for you called, The Zombie! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, which you makes you jump back. a little. Yeah, you know? absolutely, it's like, you yeah. Know. It reminded me of The Mask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey. Yes. <laughs> I could see that. Um, uh, Oh, what I pictured in my head also was those, uh, you show me them too, I know you like them a lot, those old-timey skeleton cartoons, what are they called again? Uh, crap. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a whole Where we spent, like, 20 minutes watching those. Yeah, movie. and that's what it is, like, the strangest thing about it is how authentically he captures all of these things where, like, he lives in a tiny town in Australia. It's not like he's, like, in, like, you know, Sydney, Sydney or, yeah. or something yeah. like like, he lives, like, in a hodbunk, like, nowheresville in the middle of, like, basically, like, the post-apocalyptic, you know, <laughs> like, whatever, and, like, all he has are, like, these, like, old 78s and, you know, and obviously some exposure to, like, these American cartoons and all these other things that are, like, but he's literally on the other side of the world, like, sitting here penning these tunes, working yeah. it out, learning from listening to the records, and uh, I don't know. It's amazing to me that someone who has, like, so few resources in comparison to some other people can come right. up with, like, just hit the target so much better than yeah. people like, I don't know, Eric Clapton, who, like, yeah. <laughs> like got to meet all of his blues idols, yet, you know, <laughs> went on to do his own thing. We'll put it right. that way. Yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> Um, get on the floor. This song uh, is kind of a little bit of a, I don't know, not really like a difference than the other two songs that we just heard. This one's more like a, hey, forget about your problems. Don't you worry about it. get on the floor. And this is kind of where we're introduced to the Jungle Man because in the beginning, like mm -hmm. in the beginning of the song, they're like, people say that the Jungle Man ain't the way or something. Well, I forgot what the line was exactly. Yeah. But this is kind of where he gets introduced as the Jungle Man. Uh, and I always feel like um, this is where I kind of thought like this is like a Jungle Man. The Jungle Man is. A person that's kind of like shunned by some like a community or something like that but uh, I also kind of tied it together with how a long time ago people thought the blues music was the, or the bl blues music was the devil's music yeah so I had that kind of tie there well and there's a lot of like pejorative tie-ins of this of you know being referred to as jungle music which in part is actually because of uh, during the mid 1920s particularly Duke Ellington was like the king of jungle jazz it's a subgenre there's tons of great stuff songs. Uh, mm -hmm. The Carnival does a lot of them. It's a genre I'm, like, very obsessed with, but, uh, like, uh, his biggest hit, uh, his earliest hit was a tune called East St. Louis Toodaloo, which is okay. a jungle blue, or a jungle jazz <laughs> song. Okay. Alright. So it's, you know, not strictly a pejorative term. It just right. has been, you know, weaponized and, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess another thing that they mentioned in this song, they, he mentioned something called a poison pen, and I was curious what it meant. I thought initially when I heard that, I was like, is that like a cigarette? Like, I can see that being a poison pen. But then I, uh, I saw that it was actually like, if you're writing a nasty letter to somebody, like you're trying to like call them out, or you're being mean to them, or you're being abusive to them, it's actually the pen that you're writing with is considered a poison pen mm. if you're writing this nasty, harsh letter to somebody and being mm. really rude to somebody or something like that, and I thought that was just kind of interesting. Yeah, and then once again, a toss back to why, uh, you know, people ask all the time, oh, who's the new Tom Waits? And, and no one will ever yeah, be yeah. the new Tom Waits. He's too, he covers too many bases. But, he really uh, does. <laughs> but in some aspects, like that, like, you know, this uh, thesaurus of subcultural, like, you know, 
colloquialisms and expressions and stuff like that, he can be a real uh, treasure trove of these sort of like little references to things that you never heard of that used to be a saying. Okay. Yeah, and I I think that that worked out really well in this song. I just thought that was very interesting. Um, Moving on to the things I'd done. So I uh, initially heard that this song might have been inspired by, what song was that? Uh, Marty Robbins' uh, They're Hanging Me Tonight, which kind of has the same kind of thing where Marty Robbins talks about how he murdered, uh, I think he murdered like his wife or a girlfriend or something like that, because I think the line in his song was, uh, they're burying her tomorrow, but they're hanging me tonight. Uh, and the thing I'd done, like basically in Marty Robbins' song, it's like him just like kind of repenting for what he did, like feeling super guilty for what he did. And the things, the, the thing I'd done is the same thing. It's like, uh, him reflecting on what sin he might have done and uh, and uh, him just like feeling sorry for himself or just feeling guilty for what he did and I thought that was kind of interesting that it might be. This is one of my favorite tunes on the record uh, in part because uh, there's a lot of angles to it but it, it is one of the more Calypso inspired things and a, and a type of Calypso that uh, not many people continue to do um but so it's like it kind of has like almost a sort of pseudo ska vibe, and you know I don't want to get too thick into the music theory of it. But <laughs> so like when you're playing ska music, you're playing the upbeat, so you're doing and you know one and and yeah, and, yep. and and. But more specifically, you're going and two and and four and and two and and four and, and that's like a lot of where the groove is. This to a layman is going to sound very similar, but it's like staggered off beat from that in a way that is very difficult to like, there's a lot of ways the song separates rhythmically that's like very technically difficult to do groove wise. And once again, a lot of people have attempted to do and failed miserably, but it's like hypnotic and repetitive and like, but like where the chop lies, you know, where the and normally would be, Mm -hmm. is like, just slightly <laughs> off, so there's like what uh, rhythm and blues musicians call like a tension between it. We have oh, like, okay. So you have like stuff that's like just not quite right, and it makes it like infectious. Like trying to like when your like turn signal isn't like <laughs> like like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's something like that where you want to predict where it's going to be. And it's always slightly different from what you think. So it's it's kind of in that realm where like it really gets in your ear. And since that's just one of the background rhythm things, you know, and then, yeah, the narrative and the story is, right. you know, really, like, emotionally powerful. Like, it, like he really sells, like, the emotion of, like, deep regret and, like, you know, like, just the agony of, like, you know, this, like, you know, unspeakable thing. The thing I done... Yeah, and, you and, could, let, like, and let you fill it out, what that thing could be. Absolutely. I, mean, I was going to say, you can actually feel, like, him, like feeling the memories in his head and like I like that line when he talks about uh, hearing the band play like a last song or something like that and it just reminds me of like some guy with a cigarette in his mouth blindfold about to get shot in a line here but there's like a trumpet player or like a bugle player saying like giving his last final thing and I thought that was very interesting um, another thing uh, to go back with the music it kind of felt like a waltz tango-y thing instead of like the straight up blues yeah, that it totally. normally is yeah, yeah and it has um, like a it was Jelly Roll Martin we call uh, a Latin tinge it's not a Latin song it's not this but 
But that's what you get with a lot of the Caribbean music is like yeah. islands tend to be sponges of culture. Everything that goes there tends to stay there, mm-hmm. you know. So obviously you have like the African influence from all the people coming and do the sugar plantations, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You have the European Portuguese influence or bringing uh, by default some like Middle Eastern culture that was left from when the Moors were like, you know, in control of Gibraltar, blah, blah, blah. So you have... You know, all these different elements, all the other parts of European culture for, like, the literal instruments being played. But, yeah, so that tune like that is, uh, is you know, it's really cool because uh, <laughs> you don't hear it very often. No, no. I would say it was kind of nice. To, I shouldn't say it was nice because the whole album was nice. <laughs> i got to stop praising this album. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but it was kind of like a nice little, uh, just like a little bit of a different flavor than uh, the rest of the songs that we've heard so far. Uh, tomorrow Gonna Be Too Late. This, for me, is like... Straight up classic blues song, like hurt by a lady, gonna sing about it, really sad about it. I put one of those songs I could see being on repeat when you're going through some shit. This place in a tavern <laughs> occupied by three to four sad men who are only staring at their beers and grumbling their the order. The saddest bar that I've ever walked <laughs> into. Well, and part of it is like, so it's just this 1950s tune, and it's uh, very much makes the best use of his background singers, who we haven't talked about at all yet, but oh, they like yeah. are a major part of the success of this record. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, like the major difference from maybe some of his prior work. But. Uh, he does something in this song that he does a lot in his previous records and he stays away from in this record, which is doing voices. Okay. So a lot of his previous songs are literally him having conversations with himself, like a vaudeville skit where he has like different voices he does where he's playing all the characters. Yeah. He does that right in the beginning where he says, oh, get away from here, dog. Right from there. He talks yeah, about yeah, the yep, dog yep. being by the gate, and then he goes, Ruff! You know, like, he, he, he plays the role of the dog because he, like, really wants to paint this picture, and uh, there's, like, something about it that reminds me of, like, a vintage radio plays or something. We have, like, a Foley yep. artist or something yep. like this where he, like, it's just these little details that he throws in that are, like, I don't know, they're almost like dad jokes. They're so cheesy, <laughs> but they work. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, it's like a nice little uh, radio program, like when you hear stories like, um, I, the only one I can think of is like the War of the Worlds when you heard yeah, that totally. on the radio. Yeah, totally. Because by now, you just, you're on his side too. Yeah. That's, yeah. And once again, that warm tone that people talk about coming from these uh, RCA 77 microphones, like that, those are once again, like that was the radio standard. So most of these radio announcers hear that like really nice what I said, like, like, it feels like it's right in your ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's, yep. uh, it comes from that, which, weirdly enough, is because it goes through just a little ribbon of gold. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally, that's what makes it so they're ho- so hard to use live, too, is because they have this little fragile piece of gold that you have to be careful about. And they say you to angle the mic just right because it somehow changes the signal where, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Getting too technical, but that's where that comes from. It's okay. like it is... Uh, very much in the the technical the reason he made such a point to do it this arduous way is that's the payoff mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, before we leave this song I just want to say the protagonist in this song who feels really sad and feel like he was wronged by a woman I don't know what happened to him I don't know what the reason was but if it's just because the woman doesn't want to give you the time of day you could do better man yeah. Dude, I just want you to know 
that we got your back. You can do whatever you want. There's better people out there, unless you're an asshole, then don't, then <laughs> fuck you, okay? I mean, this, you deserve what you get, you know? Well, but part of that is that <laughs> 1950s thing is that was the first time in pop music that music was specifically geared towards teenagers. Okay. And this is playing into that, like, cliche in the sense of, well, yeah, no adult is going to have this sort of relationship. This is like some 16-year-old, and like yep. the girl can't come out because she didn't do her chores or whatever. And there's kind of like this like forbidden secrecy that's happening. And yeah, it's, so it's like there's this like, once again, his ability to transform himself into this like childlike view of the world is uh, remarkable. Fair, fair enough. That uh, that's a good explanation for that. <laughs> um, Mama's got the blues. Tony, what you got? Well, it's classic. Yeah. You gotta sing about, if you're gonna be a blues man, you gotta sing about the blues, and so we get it here, yeah. and it's sad. It is Mama very sad. Blues. I was gonna say, like, <laughs> the song is also very classic <laughs> blues, and you can really hear the despair when it gets to that, that o, the O's and the O's kind mm-hmm. of thing, and it reminded me of uh, Tom Waits at, the, at those points, too. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I had <laughs> no, it's okay, Tom. though. I love Tom Waits. It's well, that's his ridiculous. shit. That's his wheelhouse. I know. Um, but yeah, when it got to that point, I was like, that's really where you can feel the despair. And now I have like, I have two, uh, two thing, two theories of why his mama has the blues. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. One theory is it's like a depression era song. And like now the family doesn't have any money and they got kicked out of their house and now they're homeless and he can't provide for his mom anymore. And that's what, that's one theory of like the reason why mama has the blues and he feels really sad about this. The second one is the protagonist or the, 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 the person in the song is um, like a black sheep to the family uh, and he doesn't come around very often and uh, all of a sudden he gets into trouble and he gets into more trouble than he thinks and now his mom is just kind of like sad about oh here we go he's gonna <laughs> like his mom is like sad that she couldn't be better or she couldn't treat him or uh, make him a better person now he's gone out and done all this stuff so those are the feelings that I got from this song, and I feel like you're about to school me in what it actually is. No, I think no. Uh, I just wanted to review the lyrics. Okay. That's one of the things I love about the album too. Is I got the vinyl in my hand, and that is uh, cool. That. And he's got, like, got the full lyric sheets, and I this isn't like one of those like hardcore scream bands where you can't understand the lyrics. Like yeah. you can, but. Uh, it takes two minutes to listen to a song, and it takes 15 seconds to read the lyrics. So it's right, like, yes. you know, it's just nice to. You know, whatever. And historically, with these types of blues recordings, there's like academics. So it's like, well, did he say this or did he say that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yep. it's kind of nice that he spells it out. And that's something that, you know, in Tom Waits' uh, most recent records, he included like a full lyric uh, uh, gatefold vinyl, as they call it. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, looking at the lyrics again, just to like refresh my memory, like, it is incredibly vague. It really leaves it open <laughs> to the <That's> imagination. <laughs> and it's all like, you know, real. You know, like, Lord, I got that bad old feeling humming that old distant melody. It's like, it paints a picture, but it doesn't spoon-feed you exactly what you're supposed to be seeing. And I think that's the reason why. I mean, like, it gives people like me a reason to think of two different reasons why he's singing this song. And it's like, once again, this is another one of those, I absolutely, when I listen to this, feel like you're looking through the lens of a child's eye. Okay. Like, there's like, there's like you don't understand the hardships that like your mother's going through or something like to me it really like is written from the perspective of the naivety of youth I mean it could be you know sometimes in the blues tradition you call your your woman mama or whatever but it really doesn't appear to be the case here it has more of the feeling of you know or it could be 
because of its ambiguousness, also, like you said, like, a child who's off on their own and this or that, and there's, like, a disconnect with the family. Like, it leaves all of these things available, but you just... The emotion is raw and present, even though the context isn't. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, uh, going back south, uh, I like... The song. The song is very. Uh, Which, for those listening on the vinyl, you now on the flip side. Yep, on, we have yeah, now flipped. <laughs> um, so going back uh, south is. Uh, I like the beginning of the song because it just sound the guitar makes it sound like something is descending from the sky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, he and does that radio radio play thing where he like yeah. There's a few things in his earlier records too where he does sound effects on his yeah. guitar, which is. Uh, it's a cool thing. Yeah, and I, I think that, that fits with this. This effect fits this song very well because it's a guy that you know gets into a car accident, dies, and he just can't accept the fact that he's dead. So he's arguing with God or Saint Peter, whoever. And he's like, I gotta go back. Like, I, got, I got shit to do. Like I don't know what I'm doing up here. I don't need to die right now. Come on. Yeah, and, he, and he also has like. Uh, yeah, like he paints the character as sort of like a buffoon. Like he, yes. Like he doesn't quite get it. Like, well, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, and it's what do you so, mean? But it's so endearing, and it has like almost like a Forrest Gump sort of quality, mm. where yeah. it's like just like heartwarming, and yeah, and it's like the sort of stuff I was talking about about his lyrical storytelling, his world building is. Uh, just like almost unparalleled. I can't think of any contemporary artist who like even comes close to this quality of like just rich world building. And he did, he did a good job with this mm-hmm. one too, because like you can feel it like just telling the story of how he died and then getting to uh, wherever he's at. I assume heaven, because he said he's going back south. Uh, yeah, and it has all sorts of other references to like Latter Day. Right, yeah, it's like, you gotta act like a Latter Day. And he's like, that's not me, I'm going back south. <laughs> at first, I was like, think, when I first listened to the song, I thought he was maybe talking about, like, I don't deserve to be up here. I should be in hell. Come on. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, but no, it was, but then the more I listened to it, when he's like talking about, like, hey, I got a wife and kids and stuff, and I got unfinished business, can you just, you know, let me get back there real quick. And, and even though this one has like that 1950s quality, like a nice ballad in a lot of ways, it does. Uh, it kind of touches a little bit into this like uh, country western uh, narrative it doesn't it's not a country song it doesn't have the tonality or the singing style of a country song but it's very much in the style of country music from the 50s with like you know I'm trying to think of a good example like maybe uh the song I just telephoned upstairs, uh, which is a very similar thing about having like this direct connection to God. You oh. know, it refers to uses a phone call as a metaphor for praying, and okay. it's uh, it's different, but it's it's to me very much in the same general direction. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, that was I I just thought that was very fun. Like the song itself was very straightforward, and um, yeah. So, I have jungle fever now. You have the jungle fever? Because it's jungle swing time. Jungle swing time. <laughs> this is the second time uh, in the album where we uh, come in contact with the jungle man. Um, is he so, related to the alligator man? He's not. Shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> Fucking talk about my old band shit. Get the hell out of here. No. Uh, so R.I.P. alligator man. <laughs> we, so hard, we hardly knew thee. Anyways, the jungle man... Uh, the song kind of confirms my suspicions from earlier uh, between the tie uh, of the devil's music uh, and the jungle man that's itself. That's your theme um, here. That's my of, theme here. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm figuring out from this album here too. Um, 
And I think it's another one of those things where it's like, forget your cares, get back on the floor, don't worry about that, don't worry about that petty shit, just get back out there and dance your problems away. Yeah, and he has references to sin and hell and what, so you're definitely, like, yeah, picking up on that. This is a weird tune. So, we kind of talked about this beginning, but the whole record was recorded straight to tape, no edits, no overdubs, like, basically, if there's a flaw in the performance, they had to do the whole song again and, like... The singer, the bass player, have to lean in closer to the mic during certain parts. Yeah. Because of the rush for this record and because of the need to fill enough wax to justify putting it out, this is a filler song in my mind. I don't think it's a finished product. I think they needed... There's a lot of parts during the verses that are like really not locked (coughs) in and very flawed in a way that's not like endearing or charming. It was just... The bread wasn't fully baked before it came out of the oven. Okay, all right. But what it does do as a record is it's a really excellent vehicle for C.W. Stone King's uh, guitar playing. And he takes some really nice solos during this, Mm -hmm. and it really illustrates his ability to squeeze the tone he wants out of an amp. And so it has a lot of endearing qualities, but overall I feel like it's not anywhere near the same caliber as the rest of the tunes on the record as far as like how well written it is like the mechanics of the songwriting and this that it's basically a blues but he didn't want it to be a blues <laughs> so he like does some weird thing with the bass and drums that doesn't really work during the verses I, it's, it's grown on me but it's like it sounds like they didn't know what they were doing and they just said, forget it, we need to move to the next song. We only got two days to get this whole record out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's the thing, too. I mean, like, maybe like what you're saying is kind of, it makes sense. Like, this song kind of reminds me of, like, uh, an addition on to Get on the Floor. Like, it just sounds like a second part to that song. Yeah, for sure. And so some of these are, like, clearly very well thought about, well rehearsed, well polished, finished products. Yeah. And some of them are just... He came from Australia to the United States, brought his whole band, brought a bunch of weird vintage equipment, like he says in the back, like a New Zealand film projector amp is what he played, <laughs> so, like, you know, Jesus, for a lot of the stuff. another Soviet era microphone yeah, I saw said, in there. Yeah, I said, yeah, so the vocals recorded on a no-name Soviet radio announcer's <laughs> valve condenser microphone. <laughs> so it's like, so... At some point, you have a vision for something, and this is from being a band leader and running a circus show. This I can say, one of the hardest areas of expertise is making the laws of physics bend to your will, like mm-hmm. like the logistics of finding studio time. It's not like you can go in any day. You're going into Capitol Records, like they're gonna like they don't care about you. Like you're not like a big star. Like they'll find room for you when they find room for you. So I feel like. That's kind of like a really interesting behind-the-scenes look at going, well, you have an idea when you walk in, but it becomes a different thing when you're in the studio and you're under the pressure. And who knows if they're in hour eight today, hour 16, you know, like... Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is where you... like It has a lot of cracks, but they're cracks that tell you about the process, and it's part of the thing that makes this album interesting compared to, like, a meticulously polished you know, mass-produced song is it's, like, if he didn't put this record out himself, most record companies would not pay to put this song out. Okay. And that's what gives it this cool underground, like, yeah, you know, bootleg tape for quality. Sure, for sure. You know, the fact that he's willing to... I mean, maybe he has a different opinion on it, maybe, but, but even says, like... Yeah, for, that makes like, sense. What does it say on the back of the record? It says, uh... 
there weren't a lot of time done for takes of each song. In some instances, we take a selection for inclusion on this record. We're recorded before the mix had been perfected, and that particular number in this case is, has the choice of being the best rendering of the song versus optimum quality of the recording. Just, yeah, yeah. So maybe he liked well. the vocal performance better on this, but maybe on the other take, some of the other aspects were better. better so this would be a record I would love to hear the the, uh, the alternative takes on. Right, yeah. Wow. Unmastered. <laughs> Unmixed, yeah, unmastered. Yeah. 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 Kind well, of I mean, stuff. This, that's a funny. I mean, this one, there is no mix. Yeah, that's I mean, what I was going to say. Never mind. It, it is like, you know, <laughs> that's you, the get, whole point. you get what you get, you know, right, that's, yeah. uh, which is also would in part inspired me to do the same when we did uh, the, uh, our recent record. You know, so it's that... pretty much the same deal. Uh, straight to tape, no. Uh, no rehearsal, just make <laughs> just five going. five minutes to explain to the band what I want out of the song, and then <laughs> just trusting their craftsmanship to, to deliver. Nice, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, before we're even done, I gotta say this has been really fun because this is the most nuts and bolts we have gotten into right. music. Yeah, for sure. You have done really good at like we usually don't get this like dirty, and I, I've really had a fun time like learning shit. Well, it's hard too because it's like. Because he's not like he's huge in Australia. I mean, he's like does giant auditoriums or whatever. But it's like I've got to meet him many times. So it has that DIY punk rock, you know, the band sleeping on your living room floor sort of vibe, yeah. and you know that type of accessibility you don't necessarily get with you know System of a Down or whatever. You know, fair. <laughs> oh yeah, so it's you like, know. how did you know that it was like one of my favorite albums, one of my favorite bands? Gosh. Um, I think it was, it was the first one you guys It was did, the like, very first yeah. one. That we, I forgot. I showed you our whole list of what we've done. Oh, man. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Um, next one. Uh, Good Luck Charm. Uh, I love CW's vocals on this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, I'm not taking anything away from anything else he's done on this album, but I just really love what he's done on this one. Um, and a theory that I have for this one uh, is either the Good Luck Charm is, in a weird, selfish way, the Good Luck Charm is himself, because it's always with him, or it's someone he's in love with. I like to think that it's the one that he's in love with. Mm-hmm. Uh because it's everywhere he goes, he's got it with, got them with him wherever he goes. But at the same time, I could be like, what if it's just like, I'm the good luck charm. I'm fucking going Billy for the Billy Zane, Titanic. Yeah. I make my own luck. That's it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes up to a craft table and just shoots it and gets all the money, whatever. It's just, yeah. And I, I would agree. I think the vocal delivery and the chord progressions in this song are its strongest suits. Yeah. I like sure. that it's like, you know, going back to, you know, going back south or, you know, on a desert isle, which we haven't gotten to yet, is a very explicitly lyrical song. It's mm-hmm. a storytelling where this is maybe closer to, like, what we're talking about with Mama Got the Blues in the sense that it never really tells you what it's talking about. It works around the subject, gives you a general impression, and then leaves a lot to the imagination. Right. And I um, love that. I love when music mm-hmm. does that. <laughs> and it's like, but a lot of what he's doing is he's using the tone of his voice to tell you how you're supposed to feel as opposed to the lyrics. Yeah. And uh, this, I agree. I, I really, this song, like, I can't remember the lyrics as often because they don't like really pop as much, yeah. but the feeling is like crystal clear mm-hmm. and it's like very warm and very nostalgic and very like jubilant. Hell yeah. Uh, and then As the, the back kids of, say the vibes are good. The vibes are good. <laughs> the vibes, they're good. Um, and also the backup vocals here, too. Bring it all together, too. Like, uh, just right away in the beginning, he's like, I got a good luck charm. And then all of a sudden, yeah. the backup vocals just come in and just do their thing. And just, I just, I love the shouting because it feels like, it feels like live experience. Yeah. And it, it feels like it's just, the energy feels in the moment. It doesn't feel rehearsed at all. Yeah, for sure. 
like all the yelling uh, non sequitur. Well, not, not not necessarily non sequiturs, but like just shouting. <laughs> as, far, as far as like the emotional spectrum that you can take the audience through, he has a lot of stuff that covers despair and doom and gloom. Yeah. And, you know, it's really nice to hear a song that's just joyful on the record, too, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, everything else is kind of sad. Mm-hmm. It all has, like, an air of, like, regret or, you know, longing or, like, you know, just unsettledness where this, he feels in his element, he feels like he's just having, like, he's got a new pair of shoes, a new haircut, and everything's going his way. You know, yeah. It's all green lights on the drive home. It's, you know. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I'm the Jungle Man. Going to the Jungle Man. Okay, now this is where my theory just yes. took crazy, yep. went crazy, and Your I'm like, narrative. oh, yep. the Jungle Man is the devil. That's that's where I came up, and I'm just <laughs> like, yep, here it is. He's the devil because like when he gets to the line, anyone that meets me is sure to meet their doom. I was like, oh, that guy's a fucking devil. Come on, <laughs> he's got to be the devil. But uh, I remember when we were talking briefly last night, you said that the song is actually kind of about wrestling a little bit. Oh, but I, I think ah! so. I think so in the sense that, like, you know, like there's a, a weird, like, little reference in it's like where it's like there's like a something he did in a lot of previous songs as he kind of drops the whole f- uh, framework of what we think of a traditional song. He He's not playing chord changes anymore. He's kind of just making noises in the way that you think of like a film soundtrack or a Foley artist from like an old radio show. Like we're talking about the beginning of Going Back South. He makes some sounds that are meant to like paint a picture of like a feather falling or something like this, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And he does that in the middle of the song. There's this weird breakdown that's like also half-baked, you know? Never really, you feel like he had an idea, but he just didn't quite land it. Yeah. And uh, and it's in the middle of the song, and it's like he's like you know, you know, he walked into the ring and he's seven feet tall. He like he yeah. has this idea that there's like a contender that like Fair, steps yes. in, and he keeps talking about like you know, if you fight me, you're gonna see your doom. And he's like this Tarzan like character yeah. who uh, is the hero, but you know, but then this giant Goliath walks in, and you know, but he like never really finished it. Like it's like just kind of this breakdown where he like mumbles some stuff and he's like this isn't working just go back to the chorus (laughs) (laughs) all right well (laughs) i mean like that we we mentioned it before like about them doing it like all kind of fast in two days like maybe that's just how it fell apart on that song and yeah and i think just some of these like a relationship i talk about a lot when coaching members of the dead man's carnival this or that about the way I do my process, and I'm naturally an agent of chaos. <laughs> and, uh, and, that's, and that's my default setting, and it's like, fine. But it's not because of negligence, and it's not because of, like, laziness or disorganization. Like, there's a virtue to allowing there to be flexibility and organicness. Mm-hmm. And you have, like, a f- by allowing that to happen, you're opening the door for real, truly organic magic serendipitous moments to happen. Okay. Unfortunately, while you you have the good faith that this unbelievable, like truly magical moment, stuff that surprises you is going to happen, while you got the door open for that, other things can come through as well. You know, a squirrel can run in your house. That's what I usually <laughs> say, you know. And yeah. So, and I think this is one of those scenarios where he had the best intentions, he left stuff a little loose, and as a result, like, 
you know, it's like it just he was hoping it was like gonna just synergy was gonna happen, it was gonna land perfect, and it wasn't a perfect landing, but it wasn't a flop either. Right, you know? it was still good, still good. And once again, the fact that he would release to that to the public is great because a lot of artists are incredibly self-conscious about mm, this. Yeah. Like, they, they don't want you to really see behind the mask. They want to have complete control of their public image, and uh, in this sense, I feel like he gave more than he'd be comfortable with because of the circumstances. He painted himself in a corner, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And I really like, you, you brought it up several times, that it kind of like, it's kind of like all these lyrics and uh, the music itself is kind of loose, like loosely, it doesn't really keep it tight and... Uh, and like I said, I feast on that shit because I'm just like, oh, if it's loose, I can just make up my own uh, theories of why this was written or anything like that or like why this music or what this song is supposed to be about in my head. Uh, and I think that's that's why he did a fantastic job for me. That's why I've been Ben listening. likes it when it's loose. Well, and, and, Shut and, the fuck up. <laughs> and and, and uh, jumping back to the, the Tom Waits, you know, a lot of... He's a person who's a perfect example of someone who's absolutely always obsessed with being in control of the narrative, control to how he's viewed. He very much doesn't want you to see the man behind the curtain. Uh, But every now and then in interviews or something like this, he'll give a glimpse. And he had one that he talked about uh, going into the studio and what that process is like for him. And he said, songs are a living thing and they're very tricky. And, you know... We say when you have like a good cut, like, oh, you really captured something there. So it's because we're out here, like, setting mm-hmm. traps, trying to, like, uh-huh. like yeah, get to just the perfect picture of this beast or this living yeah. animal. And to, like, all the best songs, you know, are like that. Like, what they mm-hmm. captured in the studio was, like, more magical than it actually is live. Or it's like, you know, it's like, it kind of breaks down to, like, even, like, ancient Greek philosophy. Where do these ideas come from? Where do the songs come from? Where's the idea? Like, how can you minimize the distortion process from what you envision and what the other people get handed to them? Because there's always compromises that happen, you know? Like, there's just rules to how our world works that don't exist in your imagination. Right. You're making a movie, unless you've got a CGI budget, you can't make people fly. <laughs> you know, it's like, but, like, you can picture them flying. You could feel what it would be like to experience yeah. seeing them fly. So... It's a, I think it's, it ties into that. There's, uh, it's all part of that process of when you really get something magical, you are literally capturing a living thing. Yeah. And it's a difficult path, and you know, it's like I like Tom's comparison to it being like Same a case. hunter, and you're setting cages, yeah, yeah. and you're like, you're like, I'm gonna catch you. You know, you're like, you feel like a wily coyote, you know, trying to, you know, <laughs> yeah, roadrunner. Like even coming from two mediocre musicians, like I remember <laughs> doing that and being like, well, it doesn't quite sound like that in my head. Yeah. Like, let's try it again. And that's where it is, is there's a filtering process. And, like, when you're in a studio, you have to think about other stuff. Are people listening to this at home? Are they listening to it on the radio? Mm -hmm. Like, through which medium? Is it a film soundtrack? Like, where is this song going to go? And you have to make an educated guess. Yeah. And you never really know for sure. And there's uh, all these mitigating circumstances. And, uh, yeah, like... How you place a mic is the difference between whether a song is forgettable or changes a generation. Right. Like, in the history of rock and roll, you have the song Rocket 88, which is the first song that had distorted guitars, supposedly. <laughs> and if you go on the tour of Chess Records in Memphis, I'm not Chess Records, I'm sorry, uh, Sun Records. Yeah. Uh, that's an unforgettable oh, like, era. Oh, yeah. No. That's uh, get out. No, yeah, we're so you, you go to Sun Records and they have this, like, old 1940s guitar amp that has, like, a broken speaker and, like, supposedly, like, 
like it fell off the car, but the, you know, once again, like they had to go into the studio because they only had money for that day. They'd already paid for it. It has to be that day. So they had yep. to record with this broken amp and it has this distorted sound and it's like considered by most historians to be arguably the first rock and roll record. Right. Well, and it's like, but it was an accident. It was uh, <laughs> that chaos that allowed something that you didn't control that. There was this element of going with the flow and letting things land how they're going to land that uh, was present. And I think C.W. Stone King really is trying to honor that history here by saying, this isn't a formula. This is, you know, you just put in the hours and you go in and you do it and you work and you work and you hope that you get something that becomes Rocket 88 and changes the shape of the world. Well, I'll be honest. You are... Blowing my phone. Well, that's awesome. Right I can see why you have the professor title. Oh yeah, um, yes. no, I can be very no, no, I feel no, I feel very educated here. No, now you're making sure. me want to like study some just more, so I know more because <laughs> these two hosts are just like, well, please I'm tell us more. Well, I'll, I'll give a shout out to both you and whoever uh, lucky listeners are. There's a great, great book called How Music Works that. Mm is a really good blend is written by uh, oh Jesus Christ uh, yeah, David, <laughs> Jesus D- David Byrne the singer from the talking okay. oh hell yeah and it's one of the most interesting books I've ever read it's a combination I of can see that history philosophy nuts and bolts of like mechanically how things operate yeah. and that's uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's all factual I think it'd be very easy for someone to read it and just take David's word for a lot of it but yeah. it's Pound for pound, the best thought-provoking book on music I've ever read. Well, that's that's great. I, that's I'll have to check it out. Yeah, for um, sure. And that's I guess that's why we'll never stop talking about music, because there is that emotional aspect you can't get to the core of. You can talk about theory all you want, yeah. but there's still that ounce of something. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, no. And that's that, why robots don't really make music yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah. Now... We got two more songs yet. So we got, we <laughs> yeah, got, we got. <laughs> well, how about read out your "On a Desert Isle" right up because I enjoyed it. Well, okay. See the thing about it, it's like two different. Okay, so just give us your sorry. <laughs> so it goes through all the emotions. It does. It really does. So, like when I first listened to this song, I'm like, my feet are up. I'm on a beach. I got a cool drink in my hand. There's a leaf, a, a leaf fan <laughs> yeah, yeah. going over me. You're Homer. And I'm just, no, yeah, sorry. pretty much. You picture yourself Homer. Um, and I'm just like, this is amazing. But then I know also that this song is about someone being stranded, and uh, and that's not very you know luxurious for <laughs> the way in my mind, the way I was thinking about it, with my cold drink and my beach and my feet up and the, the leaf fan. But, uh, like, the song itself makes me feel that way, but the song itself is actually kind of sad um, about a guy who gets stranded on the beach or on a, on a desert island. Um, and then, luckily, a woman also washes up. How, how fortunate. Uh, and then they have a child. Like, at the end, it's like super brief because at the end of the song, because it's like all of a sudden, like, hey, there's a woman and we're in love and we got a little hut for three because we have a child now. And that's that's what it made me feel like. Well, there. And you're missing the middle part of the story that makes it so great. It's the classic formula stories. Everything goes wrong before it goes right. It's mm-hmm. like yes. a storm and it like, destroys his home and it becomes this, like, uh, God, what's the lyric he uses? It's like the most perfect lyric for it. It says, uh, like, a. Uh, for an unfamiliar land. Oh, so no, and uh, let's see. Uh, one morning the silence broke at, as beset a sea high horned in waves. I awoke to find no remnants of that paradise. What oh. laid about me was a changed, unfriendly land, far beyond the compass's reach. I sing the song of water and doom. 
It's like super. Yeah, no. That's why I was like, that's why my my feet aren't really up. So it's <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. So he, he goes to this horrible thing and the harsh realities, and then like, then suddenly, you know, out of the darkness, I heard a noise, and you know, like. <laughs> And then, like, the most impossible of impossible things happens, and, you know, and I, you know, this was the first song from this record I ever heard, because he performed this song before he put out this record. This oh, cool. The tune that he, you know, was doing for a while, and uh, he's really an interesting character. Like, if you look him up, try interviews, this or that, like, he has a bunch of tutorials where he, like, goes on YouTube and, like, teaches you how to play his songs. Yeah, okay. Like, and he, so he cool. does some cool things, but... This is a song I just was, like, obsessed with. Like, just absolutely, like, jaw-dropped about. And uh, to me, it's the shining gem of the whole record. Like, it's like... It is. It's a really good song. It is. But so he tries to explain this, and, like, you realize from the way he's explaining it that, like, despite the fact that he plays wonderfully, like, he's not very articulate about, like, music theory the way you'd expect, like, a jazz musician to be or this or that, like... I mean, it's almost like an idiot savant sort of relationship, <laughs> and I don't know if it's like a put-on or if it's like a character he's creating, yeah. but like, for him to be able to sculpt a song like this and not really understand mechanically how it operates yeah. like is like magical in its own way, you know? So it's like he didn't really know what the chord changes are. He just you know, was so in touch with the muse, or like I was saying a minute ago, wherever ideas come from, he's just like so tapped in that he like pulls this thing from like the other world in complete form without like being able to explain how or why he did it. Okay. Yeah. We gonna boogaloo. We're gonna do it. Let's get to the last song. Oh, gosh. Uh, and the title track, no less. And the title track. Last song. And honestly, this song feels like uh, I can like after watching a movie, it's just like you feel and the credits. credits rolling. You can feel the credits rolling during this last song, and I just I love the way it's set up that way. Um, yeah, it's perfect cap to this album. Yeah. Well, I totally agree, and it's uh, it's once again similar to Good Luck Charm that it's a joyful song. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. but this one has all these tinges of sadness behind it. It's almost like an old man telling you the story about how it used to be as a like it's told <laughs> in the moment, yeah. but like. Like, to me, I don't know if he did it on purpose or this, that, like, I'm not convinced by the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see the actor reading the script, mm-hmm. and it gives this new dimension to it, and uh, it's a song that resonates with me very deeply because being a professional entertainer, most nights and weekends, I'm either working or wishing I was because I got bills coming. Fair. So it's very, like, you go into making music and art because you want to create moments for people. Mm-hmm. But yeah. When you're hosting the party, you don't get to attend the party. Yeah, that's fair. And so this song makes me long more than anything for, like, the time before I was established and, you know, running shows and this that to a point where, like, all I wanted to do is to go to a really, really great thing. Or in this case, it's that he didn't go to a party. It's this intimate moment between him and his lover. Like, he goes to the record store, buys a record, they put it on, and he has this great lyric about... You know, I throw my coat on your dresser, baby slipping off her shoes. Yeah, yeah. You know, like this really nice, like happy. We're in the living room, yeah. sharing this moment. But then he also has a lyric about like driving around in his car, listening to the stuff. And, like, <laughs> very invocative of the 1950s. Very like a world C.W. Stone King never lived in, never experienced yeah. himself, but like takes you there. 
but at the same time, like I said, for me, I can kind of, I still see C.W. Stillenking, like, longing for this thing, maybe in the same way that I would. Like, he wants to live in this moment, have this experience, but he hasn't. It's like, it's all a fantasy. Yeah. But a very vivid fantasy. That was, this is... <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, first of all, this has been uh, an awesome experience. I'm really glad you picked this album. I'm really glad you were able to come on the show with us here and talk about this album. So that was that was yeah. C.W. Uh, Stone King. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> wow. Um, now, we have one more segment. Uh, well, actually, we have two more segments. This, this one will be really brief. We have one called How Is This Wrestling. Briefly talk about how this album ties into wrestling. I have a really big stretch of one, but then you kind of came up with one, which worked out. Um, so, okay, so what we do for this, you can join us whenever you want. Mm. We do it three times. Uh, we'll get it going, and you can join on in when you want to. Ready? How is this wrestling? How is this wrestling? How is this wrestling? Okay. How is it wrestling, fan? How is this wrestling? Do you remember the Vaudevillains? Yeah, I do. That's why. That's why. <laughs> because this song is so. Because you brought Vaudeville up, uh, and, and there's hints of Vaudeville throughout the album too. And there's like there was like this uh, this tag team that was called the Vaudevillains, and they would come out to like black and white, and they'd, they'd be, be like, old time strongman yeah. wrestlers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Right. super cool. Well, which uh, I'm not a. I only passively follow wrestling. Is this like you know like. You know, whatever WWE. It is WWE. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was. They're not a team anymore. Well, okay. one of them was talented. One of them was not. Yeah. So that, that guy got sent away. And sounds like most vaudeville. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And the talented guy had to find a new gimmick. <coughs> um, but yeah, that was how is this wrestling? And I guess there are some ties which yeah. we mentioned earlier. I mean, character creation without a doubt. Because well, like the Jungle he, Man. He jungle cre- man. like because in wrestling, the same as a song, you have a very limited amount of time to sell people on a concept. Very okay. much. And, you know, in that sense, like, each of these different characters, like, I think C.W. Stone King would be excellent at developing wrestling characters for other people. Oh, very much. Absolutely. Like, as a script writer, like, if he applied his talents in a different medium, (laughs) like, I think a lot of this would shine through no matter if he was doing film scores, if he was, yeah. Well, all he had to take was the cover album and then the record, and then even I gave him a persona. Yeah, he's got this, like, all-white suit that he wears for most of his gigs recently, like, looks like a 1950s, like, milk delivery man or whatever. (laughs) And that so, guy could kick somebody's ass in the ring. Okay. But yeah, like, and yeah, you have only so short a time to sell it because, like, if a good guy comes out to zero cheers, he's dead on arrival. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was. How is this wrestling? So now we have to do it again. Here we go. How is this wrestling? How is this wrestling? How is this wrestling? Last and final segment, here we go. It's called Hyper Specific. We ask you hyper specific questions. Tony, you got some in mind? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, shoot. I should have sa- saved all the fodder from earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. These are going to be like. Dumb. These are going to be kind of dumb. All right, so uh, we have to make the drop. Hyper And it has been dropped. And here we go with hyper specific. Tony, you want me to go first? You want to yeah, go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. Go first. So if a poison pen is something that you use while you write a mean letter, does that mean we have poison fingers when we send a mean text? Uh, I would imagine so. I think that's uh, an interesting way to put it. Poison thumb. Poison thumb. That's what I put. put more poison thumb. Either way, yeah. Um, who would have a better party, the jungle man or the devil? And also, what's the food <laughs> spread look like? See, these are too good. Oh man, uh, I'm gonna uh, favor uh, towards the devil in this case okay, because uh, the jungle man. 
he lives alone in a one-room jungle shack. You know, that's where he makes his records or whatever. It sounds like a little too much like a bachelor pad for me for him to be good at hosting a party. Fair. Um, The devil, on the other hand, is a master of seduction and decadence. And Uh, uh, until he gets your soul, he sounds like he'd give you pretty much anything you want. Right. (laughs) Um, So the food spread would be really whatever you like. I happen to be vegan, so I don't eat real food. Okay. All right. All right. Well, the devil's got you. It's okay. Uh, So probably a lot of Indian food and Thai food and, you know. Sense of irony, have some hot sauce that says hotter than hell. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Hell yeah. If the jungle man did have a party, though, what would his food spread be like? You know, uh, because it's like this Tarzan sort of thing, (laughs) I feel like that's one of those, like, you know, you ask, like, Stan Lee... Uh, questions about like the practicalities beyond the suspension of disbelief of like when do superheroes eat? What's or who does the grocery shopping? Stuff like this. Fair enough. I feel like that part of the picture is blurry and is never meant to not be blurry. And I think the same thing with the Jungle Man. If you really get into the nitty gritty of how does he, uh, you know, use the facilities, you just like, I feel like it tarnishes the character more Fair. than it enhances it. Fair enough. Very much. Tony, you got one just off the top of your head. Uh, if uh, David Byrne and C.W. Sun King made a band, what would they be called? Oh, oh, mm. <laughs> oh Lord. There we go. That's a good one. <laughs> That's, you know, a good question. And i got to be honest. I really like David Byrne, but I'm not as familiar with all of his artistic endeavors right as you know. think uh, on account of not being an adamant New me. Wave fan. I'm yeah. familiar with it. I'm peripherally aware, but... Uh, once again, David Byrne is currently alive, so I'm not allowed to know too much about him. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, the Talking Stones. The Talking Stones. The Talking Stones Talk is Stone really good. I like that. Yeah, that's that's, that's, a, that's a good uh, combination there. Well, that's 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 our episode. Uh, before we get out of here. Professor, yeah. Now we need the lowdown. Need, what are you doing? Like, what's we, going we on? The lowdown on Dead Man's Carbon. Yeah, what's going yeah, on? So, what are so, you guys up to? So, giving context, some of the the unindoctrinated. Uh, I run a live music circus variety show called the Dead Man's Carnival, as well as gigging with the band that plays music for the Dead Man's Carnival uh, as an independent entity called Professor Pinkerton's Irrelevant Orchestra. <laughs> yes, um, love it. We yeah. put out a record last year called Antiquated at Best of. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly public domain, early 20s, very early recordings, uh, our take on them, uh, continuing that dialogue. So I've been doing a lot with that, particularly since uh, the 2020s theme is all the rage. So mm, keeping, yeah. It's like this year is your year. Keeping real busy, you know, to, <laughs> is, wasn't planned that way, but it's one of those like serendipitous moments that we happen to be grinding on uh, on that particular genre, although we do a lot of different things. Uh, people ask all the time what Dead Man's Carnival's up, because we've been in a lull. We did ten years producing a monthly show that last season we stopped producing a monthly show and instead favored towards touring original circus plays uh, mm-hmm. such as our Tom Waits tribute show. Yes. Uh, an original circus play called Yesterday's Here was Loved uh, it. Uh, the, the general realm where we're trying to go. Um, so we have some more of that on the docket. We're not ready to announce which themes we're pursuing yet. Okay, all right. Uh, we should be, because otherwise we're not going to have adequate time to get people out there. But we're doing a spring and a fall tour through the Midwest. We'll be doing Milwaukee, you know, Madison, Chicago, small town, Wisconsin. And we're not 100% sure how big the circuit will go, but generally the circle I shoot for is, like, everything that's six to eight hours within drive time. So it's Minneapolis, St. Louis, Detroit, 
you know parts okay. of Ohio. That's uh, that's our our tour circuit we're trying to build, but with most of the emphasis on like small town Wisconsin. Uh, so uh, we'll see. But uh, the premises are incredibly exciting. I wish I could talk about them. Hey, yeah, I we, get it. I get we, it. When we stop recording, I'll tell you about it if you still want to <laughs> cool. listen. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, before we get out of here, I just want to say that. Uh, um, Dead Man's Carnival and and uh, your music yourself actually is very special to me uh, because like I said my fiance and I uh, one of our first dates we went to a Tom the uh, yesterday was here uh, it was played exactly on my birthday it was really fucking cool that's great when that works out um, that way you know and then also uh, every uh, uh, first Thursday of a month we're over at Shaker's Cigar Bar on that's uh, it. 422 South 2nd Street. That's the corner of 2nd in Florida and Milwaukee's Walker Point neighborhood. It is very awesome. Just no follow cover. the ghosts. Yeah, no cover. We're there from 8 to 11. Uh, and uh, fair warning, it is a cigar bar, so there will be people smoking cigars. <laughs> and I also that also brings it up, too. Uh, our very first date, uh, my fiance and I, our very first date was on Halloween. We went to Shakers. Mm. We saw you play. It was awesome. You had the red face paint on, looking like the devil. It was fucking cool. And uh, every year we've been going there on Halloween, and we've seen you, and then we also took a ghost tour. Uh, and now we're getting married this year on Halloween. So, oh, that's killer. So, that's like, fantastic. I just yeah. wanted you to share that with you because like, it's awesome that we get to see you every year on Halloween. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Professor Heck Pinkerton. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure. It was a lot of yeah. fun. I uh, you know, look forward to uh, seeing uh, who uh, we get a tip off. You know, it's, it's a, the, the real joy of doing something like this is giving people the opportunity to experience artists they maybe never would have. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In, in the same have. sense of, yeah. like, you know, you catch a show. This uh, I did a lot of years as a street performer, and okay. the ability to in a context where people least expect it do something mm. to change their day is really uh, what it's all about for me so absolutely so yeah. I hope Love that uh, you know you guys continue to do this podcast and do that great stuff for people thank you so much alright well not exactly radio we gotta get out of here it's Benny K and Tony just Tony Tony just Tony we'll see you next time bye bye